What a joy it is to be together to have this time, have the written word of God to study God's holy word. Will you grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians? It's a great privilege to be preaching this letter in this time in life of our church as we approach our 135th first anniversary of our church here in Bakersfield and work of making disciples and sending missionaries to the nations. We are joyful to be walking with you uh, in this time. And for what God's doing in His Word, uh, we are going to be focusing on the second part of chapter 2, verse 2 today. Uh, Here in Ephesians chapter 2, especially in verse 1 through 10, we have such a special place in Holy Scripture uh, for some of the greatest clarity of our condition apart from Christ in our sin and the good news of salvation for those who turn from their sin to trust in Jesus alone. It's an important passage uh, to understand how the gospel works. and One we teach often, but it's been really a treat to get to teach it faithfully and slowly. And we'll focus on just this very latter part of verse 2 today. I pray it's a blessing for you. I've titled today's sermon, Devoted to the Devil. And I have not titled it, Uh, this way to be cute or controversial is truly my aim that we would see with clarity what Paul is saying here in the second part of verse 2 that devotion to the devil is a reality for all who stand opposed to Jesus as Lord scripture is clear that we are devoted to one or the other as we've been studying the last few weeks uh, that mankind is dead in sin Uh, committed to only live for our fallen ways of the world instead of for God and His glory apart from Christ. We, in our flesh, are often guilty of making light of mankind's stark reality in our depravity by creating a completely different economy for how we think these things work or should work. Uh, As we study this topic today, I I want uh, to encourage you to be willing to reject the ideas of man, the preferences of our flesh, to lean in with humility and obedience to what does God's Word declare about these things, that we would trust that God is truth, and what He has given us is true and reliable should shape our thinking, our understanding, and motivate us rightly according to what he has for us. Um, Realize this, that I I could think that I am a professional athlete who makes millions of dollars, but that doesn't make me one, right? And, And often I think we're guilty on this topic of thinking differently about condition of man apart from Christ, and we need to repent of that to understand what God has said about these things and who we really are apart from Christ, what the gospel really means to us. Church, we're desperate to hear God's word on this matter because we need to understand the true condition and depth of depravity for those who stand outside of Christ. We need to heed Paul's clarity and additionally this morning, Jesus' sobering words on this topic. We must see it rightly for the sake of our testimony to those who are in our lives who are still dead in sin, some of our very children, family members, co-workers, and friends. We must see the true condition of these people who are not truly surrendered to Christ as Lord so that our stewardship of our days would be put to best use to speak gospel truth to them. Not to love them or walk with them selfishly to not create waves, but to love them enough to be willing to risk even the relationship if it means they have a true and right understanding of their condition apart from Christ and their desperate need for a Savior. For those of you who are who God has ordained to hear this sermon, either here in person or online later, you who are not yet surrendered to Christ as Lord, of your life, hear me when I say that you are desperate to understand your spiritual allegiances and the darkened and damned path you are committed to in your sin. That you are desperate 
for the Savior. As we move this morning to this next part of verse 2, I want us to have in mind its context. I want to be faithful in preaching God's Word within its context and not be guilty of, of extracting things and putting our own thoughts onto them, but, but to have good exposition for these truths. Ephesians 2, chapter 1 says, Paul says, You were dead in the, tredpa- in, in the trespasses and sins. Paul says to his Christian brothers and sisters to whom he's writing this letter that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Their condition, their state prior to salvation was dead in sin. Because of the sin of our federal head, Adam, the first man whom God chose to represent mankind because Adam chose sin and reaped the curse of spiritual death, all of us who are after Adam or under, under him as federal head are cursed as well. Scripture says that we are conceived in sin. The seed of Adam through our very own mother and father means that we are depraved. We are spiritually dead because of Adam's original sin. Additionally, we are counted as guilty because of Adam's sin. His guilt, Scripture says, is imputed, credited to each of us who are part of this race, the human race. We must understand that every child conceived in the womb by the seed of man bears the sin of our first parents. And as a result, we have, Scripture teaches us, a morally ruined character. Not sick and sometimes able to do good things, sometimes not. No, ruined. Spiritually, morally ruined No hope for doing anything spiritually good apart from God's gracious intervention to bring new life. Apart from God giving spiritual life to that which is spiritually dead. This is our work in our sermon a few weeks ago in the early part of verse 1. Additionally, the reality of our separation and slavery to sin, Paul continues in verse 2, saying, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So, those apart from Christ prove their guilt and enslavement to sin by practicing sin every day. Walking in it. Doing it. It being normal. Following the course of this world. What's normal to the world. Following the patterns of a lost society in our priorities and our commitments and our decisions and our justification. We do this walking in sin by doing the things that God has prohibited or not doing the things that God has commanded us to do. We do this, we walk in sin, follow the course of the world, by doing good things for wrong reasons or for a wrong aim, thereby still making those good things sin. The way of the world, the way of the world is, is unbelief in Jesus as Savior. It's the pursuit of creation, of our hope, of our satisfaction, our joy, our identity being linked to what we accomplish, acquire, or have in creation. It's an idolatrous relationship with creation because our hope, our identity, our satisfaction is not found in the Creator. True worship and honor The only one who truly satisfies, the only one who our identity is secure. For everything else, you would put your identity, your hope, your satisfaction in. Even the very good things of a marriage, children, abilities, career is all fleeting. Could be gone in the next moments, hours, or days. Thereby, when we are fixed on those things, we are undone when they break down, depart, or betray us. Desperate to have ourselves grounded in God who is lasting, eternal, unchanging, and true. We'll see this morning Paul is not done with his detailed description of life outside of Christ. He goes on to say that those who are dead in sin are actively, look with me at the second part of the verse, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience. Paul says that those who are apart from Christ are not only dead in their sin and practice sin, 
but they are devoted to the devil. The prince of the power of the air is Satan himself. While there is a depth of practice or solidarity that one who claims to be a Satan worshiper might have, this is needing to be seen clearly as maybe not that, but a true devotion to sin and the devil for all who are apart from Christ. To climb into what Scripture teaches us on this topic and our right understanding of these things, uh, it's important that we would take a little time this morning to just consider who is the devil, who is Satan. Our Word of Truth Catechism that we're faithful to study from the um, um, foundation of Scripture, uh, question 21 says, Who is Satan? The first part of the answer is simply this. Satan opposes God as the chief of all fallen angels, by deceiving, tempting, and lying. It's important that we remember that Satan is an angel and nothing more. The first of the angels to rebel is Satan, who promptly is thrown out of heaven along with myriads of fallen angels, then uh, called demons, who followed his lead. The Bible says clearly they did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. The Bible also says that this is in contrast to what Scripture calls the elect angels, those who are obedient to God, who remain in His service, who are given grace to remain sinless, faithful. Scripture tells us that Satan is the prince of the demons. Matthew twelve twenty four. He's the undisputed ruler of the host of evil spirits that inhabit the cosmos as surely as humanity inhabits planet earth he is the prince of the power of the air which includes all unregenerate humanity people who have not been given new birth and faith in christ it includes all of the fallen angels it is the dominion by which satan is given access and influence he is as scripture says in second corinthians 4 4 the god of this world little g God, the whole world order that rejects the creator and substitutes the creature. So hear it again, Ephesians 2.2, 2, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That Satan is now at work, it says. He's saying that even though many have been saved, those who are dead in sin follow Satan. They're like children who follow their father, soldiers who follow their general. They actively and ongoingly do the works of sin, the works of the devil. Jesus speaks to this so clearly. In case you're struggling with such strong language to say that all those who are not faithful and saved in Christ Jesus are devoted to the devil. Um, this is not said just once in Scripture. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, and let's look to Jesus' words very specifically on this topic. Realize that these are words that Jesus shares with revered, with, with respected leaders of Judaism. Religiously devout people who are honored. See with me that even they are declared as being devoted to the devil, for they deny Jesus as Lord. Jesus tells them in John 8, 41, You are doing the works your father did. Now Jesus is going to build on who their father is in a moment, but what he says here is enough to cause his listeners to become quickly defensive and offended. They said to him, We're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So, these that Jesus is talking to argue kind of arrogantly, pridefully in their flesh. We're, we're, we're not conceived in sexual immorality. I think what they're leaning to in that moment as we study this passage is they're not saying that the condition of their father and mother in their conception was sinful. What they're failing to see is, is that deeper truth of all who are conceived who in mankind are conceived in sin because of original sin, because of imputed sin. They are dead in sin at conception. 
their failure to see their own depravity brings confusion on how they're even hearing the talking of this topic. And then they say, we have one Father, even God. So they reject the idea that they're slaves to sin and belong to another Father, whom Jesus will clarify in a moment. They believe they're God's children because of their heritage, because of their religious upbringing, their devotion to to God on their terms. In this, they're doing what many people do today. Hear me clearly. Consider this with me. Our flesh is largely, grossly misunderstood to presume that any of us belong to God when conceived in sin and behaving daily in our practice of sin as His enemies, devoted to to self-rule, not submission to God and His Word. The notion that mankind is good and and worthy of God's love and grace remains in the hearts and minds of modern man as much as it did back in this time and those who Jesus is speaking to. We must see that many people who do not have a restored relationship with God, who are not surrendered to Jesus as Lord of their lives, have no lasting and true fruit of sanctification and maturity, repentance of sin, obedience to the Lord, Many of these love to embrace the idea that God is for them, is good with them. And we need to see clearly today, this is deception and sin that would cause one to be confident of such things. And it's my deep prayer that if that even applies to you today, that you would see with great clarity your true state before God apart from Christ. Where does this mentality in modern man come from? Well, it comes from uh, things like tradition or family heritage, whereby someone says, look how religiously devoted my ancestors, my parents, my grandparents have been to religion, to worship of God. And so there's this belief that I'm, I'm a part of that. I'm scooped up in that. Maybe it's, a position of self-righteousness and I'm good with God because of your heritage or your belonging to America. And because America is God's country, you're part of God's people. Or maybe it's the notion of a spirit of just self-righteousness. Or you just generally say, as I look around, there's a lot of really wicked and bad people. I'm surely not one of them, so I must be good with God. Hear me clearly today in love. We are not a part of God's family based on family heritage or tradition, American culture, or our own self-righteousness. If to believe that is to believe a false gospel, it's not to believe what Scripture teaches. We are not children of the one true God when we live lives that promote our own authority and glory instead of utterly submitting to His authority and living for His glory. If you are here today or listening to this sermon and you live by your own rule for your own dreams and priorities, You do not live to obey God's rule or to submit to God's priorities for your life. You do not live to make much of His holy name. You really, at the end of the day, live to make much of your name or maybe the glory of your children or something else in creation. If you only stand on a profession of faith you made back in the day or on a season of devoted church participation in your past? If you rest on your parents' faith in God or your own merit to perform and not utterly and fully on Christ alone, you do not have God as Father. You are making the same arguments these Jews made who stood before Christ to claim that God is their Father, but they want to kill Christ. They do not submit to Him as Lord. 
These who were in their sin would not confess their slavery to sin and their surrender to Jesus as Lord. You need to hear this today. You need to be concerned today. You need to hear Jesus' clarity about who you're truly allegiant to, whom you truly love and live for. And as you do, I've been praying, I continue to pray, the gospel, the good news of God will come into view. That it would be His will to unstop your ears and open your spiritually dead eyes to see and savor the gospel with saving faith. That you would die to yourself to live to Christ in faith and be born again. So hear with clarity Jesus' response. John eight forty two. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Here is the plain truth. You either love God or you love yourself and your sin. These people hated Jesus. They disliked him so much, they did everything they could to have him killed. They didn't want his word of truth. They didn't want to follow him no matter the cost. I have sadly seen people who claim to be devoted to Jesus, who have lived many years of what looks like saving faith, and come to a crossroad by which Scripture is clear of what they are to do to obey him, even if it means great cost, and they completely and utterly deny it, even turning unto false gospels, false readings of scriptures, to glorify things that God says is sin and rotten. Many in scripture, as we've studied the gospel of John and other places, God's word itself speaks to the reality of superficial faith all the time. People who end up proving to not be truly an adopted son and daughter of God, but having put on religion, having put on self-righteousness for a season, but still master of their own life and still guilty in their sin and deserving God's wrath. And so Jesus is loving this audience to speak truth, hear his words as he says who their true father is. He says boldly in John 8.44, You are of your father, the devil. This is never something you want to hear, right? I mean, but this is such a huge statement. His hearers probably immediately rejected it. Um, no one's that bad. We, we just in our flesh, we don't just don't process it as possible. I mean, maybe the true Satanists are that way. People who are so tweaked and, and just and, and just evil and wicked, but but not me, not, not my loved ones, not my friends. But we have to understand, you have to see, just as we saw last week, this is not extreme, this diagnosis of Jesus. You need to see that to be a son or daughter of the devil is normal in our society. It is common. It is not out in the margins of the culture. It is in the dead center of it. The reality is you belong to one of two families. Your spiritual father is the devil, or your spiritual father is God. You belong to one or the other. You live for one or the other. Jesus says in John 8, 44, the rest of the verse, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. This is what he's saying about these who stood before him and opposed him. Those who claimed allegiance and love for God with their mouths, but their lives and their hearts were far from him, were not truly for him. And they proved this by the way they lived by the values they hold, by the will they fulfilled. The Bible is clear that you, either you are enslaved to sin or enslaved to Christ. John, the author of the Gospel of John, will write in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, 8-10, through 10, 
with great clarity concerning everything I just said. So again, if there's party that goes, man, this is this preaching is kind of extreme, really devoted to the devil's the sermon today. That you would think that like maybe disciples' church is kind of wonky in this stuff. Again, can you just hear clearly? Not me. Hear God's holy word as I read you yet another passage that says this with utter clarity. John, 1 John 3, 8-10 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Take a moment this morning. Church, please, take some serious inventory. The the practice of sin he's speaking to here is a giving over to it by, by which you just continue. There is not real conviction and repentance. For those who are saved, we are not perfect. We are not in glory yet. That is coming. But we are growing in sanctification and maturity. So there's still a fight against the flesh and temptation to sin. And there still are days when we do sin. But in Christ we know that we are forgiven. And because the Holy Spirit's on board to bring conviction and because the, the church is properly around you when you're properly devoted to God, there's accountability there. And what we do is we drag it into the light. We don't keep it hidden in the dark. We drag it in the light. We confess it as sin. And we look to turn and change our path in light of the gospel, in light of what honors God. We do this if we belong to Christ, no matter what it costs us. No matter if I've got to serve jail time, or I'm going to lose my prestigious job. Or I'm going to lose my name in the community. Why? Why do we do it despite all that? Because my identity, my name, my hope, my joy is in Christ. Not in any of that stuff anymore. Is it hard? Yes, sure. Does it take time sometimes? Yes. The evidence of one who's truly saved is not one who continues in the practice of sin conviction repentance and looking to honor god belonging to god is at work Um, recently talked through the letter of james on our podcast you can go there whole point of james letter is to show that true saving faith is at work and continues to be at work until glorification it's a great important study that you could do from home teaching of god's word so i ask you this morning take inventory What is the longing of your days, your desires, your priorities, your practices? Is it sinful? Is it selfish? Or is it God-honoring? Is it other-centered? Hear what Jesus is clarifying. He's saying there is no middle ground of acceptable living or status that we in our flesh want to often create and say that there is. When we think about life and culture and people, what we often do is create the extremes. What we'll say over here are really bad people. And I'll be quick with you, Pastor Agree. These people are living for the devil. And then over here we see some really great people, good people, generous people, doing great things. Surely those people are for God. And then we think there's people in between. People who maybe aren't yet surrendered to Jesus as Lord, but still live good, productive lives. And if we're honest, we put a lot of people in that middle group. You might even consider yourself in that middle group. But hear me clearly. There is no middle group, according to Scripture. What Jesus is saying is critical to understand. If you are not a child of God, redeemed by Jesus' blood, surrendered to Jesus as Lord, living for the glory of God and not self, 
living for the glory of God and not self or not your kids or the temporary things, but for God, for His will, for His eternal kingdom. If not that, you're a child of the devil. You're not a child of God. He says clearly, John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. And what does he describe that as? He goes on to say he was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar. He's the father of lies. Satan, the father of lies. I've always liked to define him as the, as the doctor of deception. The great deceiver. Why? Because there's no truth in him. He does not stand for truth. He doesn't even have a little bit of truth. Why? Because truth belongs to God. And he opposes God. He's not upright. He is a manipulator through and through. His game is manipulation. Realize in our culture we want to make the devil look heinous, ugly, and scary looking. The devil's a manipulator. Probably the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Kind. Whatever he's got to put on. Make you buy into the lie. It's his character. He lies because he's a liar. He's depraved in every way. And just like all of us, who are now in Christ, were once dead in the trespasses and sins, this is the reality of depraved man. Everyone's reality, unless God saves them in His grace, unless He gives them a new heart, lays upon them the righteousness of Christ. They are dead, enslaved to sin, depraved to do nothing but sin. Are you seeing this reality that all who are not born again of God, faith in Jesus Christ, not adopted into his family by the blood of his son, if not that, then they are sons of disobedience, children of wrath, and in their sin they belong to the devil. Hear it again, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We need to see the truth of our state apart from Christ. Every person who's outside of Christ is outside of salvation, is outside of God, guilty in sin. Let me take this to another level to make sure we hear it clearly. This is how this applies for us. Your family, your friends who, are, who have not professed and truly submitted their lives to Jesus, they're not doing okay. They're not doing okay if they have good grades or, or amazing skills in the ball field or good manners when talking to others. They're not doing okay if they have a good job, a loving family, beautiful children. They're not doing okay outside of Christ. They're followers of the devil. They're depraved and unregenerate sinners. This is not a mean thing to say. It is a very real thing to understand it's not an unfair thing it is, it is exactly what they are and deserve because of their sin outside of the blood of the only one who can make them clean outside of the only one who can give them grace but there is good news there is hope there is a champion who has come and crushed Satan and defeated death who unshackles enslaved sinners. He is the truth. The truth that sets people free. Jesus himself in John 8 verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free, maybe, if you live up to it. It's not what it says. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
The work of God, salvation belongs to the Lord. The work of Jesus is perfect, complete. The hope that we have in Jesus alone, the life we find in Jesus alone, God is adopting sons and daughters. He is rescuing them this very day around the world. Did you wait, Christian, this morning to pray for the gospel being preached around the world today with the great hope that many would be saved and come into our family, our eternal family? We need to be praying that way, church. We need to be aware that that's the reason why we have today, another day, why he doesn't call us home yet, because the Great Commission is not yet fulfilled. His elect are not yet fully saved. His work continues as we prepare to make disciples to go unto the nations to take the gospel truth. It's not just about the here and that. It's what God is doing in and through us for our saved brothers and sisters that he will make new in Christ. Colossians 1, 13 For He, God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Repent and believe. For those He gives ears to hear and eyes to see in His perfect time, repent and believe and trust your life to Jesus. If Satan is the father of lies, God is the father of truth. Jesus is the word of truth. He says in John 14, 6, I am the truth. Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to no longer be deceived? Then you need Jesus alone. You must become a child of God. Look at what Jesus says next, John 8, 45. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Why don't they believe him? Because they belong to the devil. Because they're children of the devil. They only do the devil's will. They only live in their sin because they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. A child of the father of lies in whom there is no truth will not believe in the truth. Only if God ordains to give them new life, eyes to see, ears to hear, do they prove to be part of his elect? Do they prove to be saved? got to see clearly today you belong to one family or the other i mean we consider our families we consider our parents and who and our heritage and you know some of you maybe don't know your family you don't know your parents maybe you've spent years looking for who they are and resources some of you um, maybe are adopted into your family and family you know got to choose you and love you and make you theirs praise god for his adoption of us as his family it's truly good news when I have a full and right understanding of my devotion to the devil, of my commitment to only sin, of my depravity being dead, not able to get myself out, that he chose to save me and make me new. Make me his. Makes the good news amazing. For those outside of Christ, you are desperate to see the truth of your state in sin the reality of your position outside of Christ, outside of salvation, your devotion to sin and the devil, to see that clearly, to repent and believe and be saved. For those of you in Christ, we need to be on guard against the schemes and the deception of the devil. As Peter warns in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. While we do not belong to him any longer, we who are in Christ... While he has no power over us, he is still a schemer. He's still a deceiver. He's still a tempter. And he loves nothing more than to trip up the children of God with schemes and temptations. That's why we have to stay alert, church. Be on guard. Not give in to our old ways when we lived in the flesh. Don't forget the second part of the answer of that Word of Truth Catechism question, Who is Satan? That says Satan only has the access and ability that God permits him. Largely misunderstood concept of Satan is that he's somehow like this eternal, uh, cosmic person at war with God. You may be seeing the artwork of like God and Satan arm wrestling. That's the conception of man. Satan is a fallen angel. He's not 
a contender of God. He's under the leash of God, under the sovereignty of God. We need to see Satan rightly for who he is. That we who belong to Jesus are victorious over sin and Satan. We stand with the victor over sin and death, Jesus Christ. We must understand Satan is not God's equal. He's not under... Uh, He's not of his own power and authority. He's under God's power and authority. Satan is not omniscient. Nowhere in Scripture does Satan read minds or know anything exhaustively. We give him way too much credit in our comic book thinking of how he works. Satan's on a leash in the power of God. God limits how far Satan can go. We see this clearly in Scripture. We see... In God's sovereignty, nothing comes to us without His express permission. We have no need to fear Satan and his demonic host because they are controlled ultimately by the sovereign God. God promised the defeat of Satan in Genesis 3.15 and on the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death on behalf of the redeemed people of God. And can I just lovingly check something that, again, our sin wants to do? As I just said what I said, you might start to be thinking, well, God, then why why not just put them in a can and make them disappear? Like, why even do this? Why even give them rain? Why even give them room? And can I just lovingly say, we who are created don't get to tell the Creator how He is to manage His creation. For He is perfect and holy, and we are fallible and finite. That That is purely sin by which I want to contest God's economy or plan. Instead, we need to heed what Scripture teaches on these things, submit ourselves to God's Word and and His sovereign will and plan. Never be guilty of taking a loved one that is clearly still in their sin and unregenerate and not submitted to Christ and somehow say, God, you better save them. quickly that becomes a layer of really revealing in our hearts who God really is in our lives. I've heard some go so far to say, sadly, even men who stand in pulpits in our city to say, if if that's the way God works, I don't want to follow that God. It's idolatry at its best. Have such a cling on the created that I would reject the creator What we need to do instead is recognize everything we have every day, every minute. The brain works, the body works, the money, ability to make an income or raise a child or do anything is entrusted to us by God for God. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Him. And it's our job to steward it in such a way that He's glorified. Not to use it as something by which we live for it, find my identity in it, my hope in it, instead of in God, that's idolatry. I say that with great love for you, that if you're, if you're discovering a cling to some of these things in that way, that it would be an opportunity to go to prayer, to go back into the Word, to confess that is sin, to repent of it, to continue to link arms with the body of Christ, to mature in these things. Oh, what a sweet thing it's been to see so many of you growing like you have. For your faith to come to a place that's never been before, as we're faithful to study Scripture in this way. God is sovereign. Satan is not. Amen? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is, we'll see this later in our Ephesians series, in Ephesians chapter 6. This fight is real. It's more real than we often give it credit. But we also must understand that we who are in Christ are victorious. It is finished. Yes, there's still a battle that happens as many more will be saved. But we who are in Christ, it is finished. Paul pronounces this well in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our cry. That's our hope. That's our cling. In the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, we trust the shepherd. We know that we're victorious in him. 
We understand that Satan is defeated because of Christ and that Satan's destined for eternal destruction as the Word of God reveals clearly in places like Revelation chapter 20, 9 and 10, saying, But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who has deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is good news. Whilst today's scripture gives us needed clarity about the allegiances one has who is apart from Jesus, allegiances to the devil, for those who are in Christ Jesus, we must know the devil is defeated and rules our lives no more. Because of this mighty truth, James says confidently in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Pastor, why would Satan flee from little old me? Because you stand in Christ. Amen? Because the gospel promise of Genesis 3.15 to bring a redeemer to crush Satan's head has been fulfilled in Christ on the cross of Calvary. Because we know we now belong to Christ and nothing can take us from his mighty grip. Jesus says again and again, one place in particular, John 6.39, that he will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but he will raise it up on the last day. Paul saying in Colossians 2, 13-15, You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Church, we must take oh so seriously the condition of those whom we love who stand apart from Christ as they serve their father the devil and walk and live their days in sin. But know God is saving sinners, undeserving sinners. The good news of Jesus and the sovereign will of God is to give us saving grace. This is happening. And this is their only hope. So we take oh so seriously the daily opportunity to testify the gospel to those that God's put in our path. That this morning would be a charge, a wake-up call to, to make more of your days with your kids or your parents or your friends or neighbors. To not treat them casually, to not give in to giving them what they want for the name of peacemaking but to love them enough. Why? Because you clearly see their condition apart from Christ and their desperate need for a Savior. For many of our families, this means a reorientation of priorities, family priorities, what we're living for, what we're spending our time on, to take these things oh so seriously. Right from this very room, I could pick up, I could call up people who would plead with you, who, who missed their opportunity to speak these kinds of truths to their kids want nothing more than to go back to those days, for that time is short. What about our time with our loved ones? What about our time with our coworkers? That we wouldn't fear persecution. That we wouldn't fear being hated. Why do we not fear that? Because Jesus said himself, you're going to be hated because you're with me. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be killed because you're with me. But Paul says it well, to live is Christ and to die is game. Are we bold in our testimony? Are we willing to speak the truth of the gospel of people being truly dead in sin and desperate for Jesus alone? And not, not giving them this false gospel narrative like, hey, you're, yeah, you're okay, you know, whatever. No, they're not okay. But to still trust that salvation belongs to the Lord. We're here to testify, we're here to live the gospel truths, grow in sanctification, but salvation belongs to the Lord. Not up to your words, not up to your doing. It belongs to Him. You've got to trust Him with that. If your child is diagnosed with terminal cancer, would you pray for them every day? Would you tend to them every day you had with them? Invest in them every day, every hour? You would. But the problem is we see that diagnosis as more serious than this one. And it's not. 
being dead in sin apart from Christ is the most serious diagnosis one has. And we must take it serious. We must wake up every day, fathers with a conviction to lead our households in the truths of God, mothers to prioritize who you are and the development of those put under your care, friends, families, co-workers, whoever it might be that God has ordained to put around you. Let us remember that those of us who are in Christ, the devil has no grip on us anymore. We belong to God now. And as Paul says well in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? For I am sure, he says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, this, this wonderful, blessed time to study your holy word, to gather, to worship your name, to break bread. We, we are joyful to be yours, to, to, to know the truths that we were once completely blind to. To be saved by grace, to be set free, to be moved and convicted by the Holy Spirit. That if you're bringing conviction today, Lord, that that's a blessing. That we would not leave here the way we came in. We would leave here motivated to, to grow, to mature, to honor you, to pray, to seek out counsel, to be accountable, to be an active member of the body of Christ, a maker of disciples, and a testifier of the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those still Lord of their own lives, still hanging their hat on some form of just religion, that they would see their desperate need to die to self and live to Christ, that it would be your sovereign will to give them eyes to see and ears to hear, saving faith in you, be born again. May it be so, both in this place or around the world. For your glory, we, we live. For your glory, we sing and go about this day, and if you will it, tomorrow and the rest of this week. We love you. Help us to behold you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.